A reading from the book of John, chapter 4, verse 25 to 31. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you will be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty Father, Jesus, in this uh, reading we just heard, talks about the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit will uh, make him clear to the apostles. We ask that the Holy Spirit would do that in us now. Um, we need Jesus to be made clear to us. Uh, we want to behold, we want to see him, because in seeing him, we, we see you. Uh, and, and we say that, you know, that, that's not straightforward to a lot of us. So, uh, but that's okay. You, you, you are full of grace and mercy. Uh, and you promise to make yourself clear. So do that now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, all right, I, w- I want to begin with a little bit of a question. Um, what is it that comes to your mind when you think about the Bible? Uh, my experience is that um, people who have really engaged the Bible uh, seriously usually have pretty significant um, feelings about it, uh, opinions about it. Uh, I remember years ago I was in Malawi and I, I met a young man who was, I think he was about 19 years old, and he had become a Christian a few years before I met him, and by the time I met him, he was already a lay leader in his church. Um, and uh, however, despite the fact that he was a lay leader, despite the fact that he led services on Sundays and, and I think sometimes preached, um, he did not have access to a Bible. He, he just didn't have one. And um, he couldn't afford it. And nobody in the village had one. And, uh, and so I, I was privileged to be there when he got his first Bible. And he was just delighted, just overjoyed, ecstatic. And later on, he wrote to me, and in his letter, uh, he talked about the Bible. However, whenever he talked about the Bible, he did not call it the Bible. He called it his treasure. And he just glowed through these letters about how much he loved his treasure. People have very strong feelings when they think about the Bible. And it's not always uh, strong, strongly positive re- uh, feelings when they talk about the Bible. I, uh, when I was in college, I went through a long season, well, a long season, a, a significant season of, of some pretty intense doubt 
and questioning. And for me, one of my biggest obstacles, one of the things that I've struggled with the most was the Bible. I struggled for a significant season to make sense of it. And every time I'd come to it, I'd come away with more questions, and I found it very frustrating. And I struggled for a time to trust it. A lot of us have very strong feelings when it comes to the Bible. Um, it, it's a treasure for some of us. It's a struggle for some of us. And very often, it's both a treasure and a struggle at the same time. Now, why am I saying all this? <clears throat> I'm saying this because uh, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John. We're focused on that uh, reading that we just heard read. And in this reading, Jesus gives us an insight into the origins of the New Testament at the very beginning. And he doesn't answer all the questions that we might have. He doesn't give us a writing history of it. He doesn't uh, give us uh, insight into all the details and how we untangle some of the things that trouble us. But what he does is in this reading, he's talking to the apostles and he promises them the Holy Spirit. And it's this promise of the Holy Spirit and all that goes with that that uh, begins a series of events that eventually leads to what we call the New Testament. And so what we want to do tonight, uh, this morning, is to look at this promise, and as we unpack it, we'll be able to see both how the Bible is a treasure, a treasure beyond all comparison, but also at the same time, why it is very often a struggle. And maybe better why it is a treasure precisely as we struggle with Christ in it. So, let me explain. Um, we're going to spend almost all our time on verses 25 and 26. Just take a look at it there. Uh, Jesus is speaking. He says this, I have spoken, all this I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, let me set the scene there because it's important that we review this every single week. Um, Jesus and his disciples are having dinner together. Uh, it's a closed-door meeting. There's, this isn't a context where there's a lot of crowds. There's no crowds. It's just in private, Jesus and his disciples. However, the room is filled with anxiety and is filled with fear. We've seen this every week. And the reason it's filled with anxiety and fear is that for the disciples, it just feels like their world is beginning to crumble. Uh, minutes before this, Judas had left the room uh, to go and to betray Jesus. They didn't know the specifics, but they knew something was up. And also they had found out that Peter, apparently, was about ready. You know, Peter is one of the, their leaders among them. And yet he was about ready to deny Jesus publicly. And worst of all, Jesus keeps on talking about his death. He, he's just hours away from being uh, arrested, condemned, unjustly murdered. So it's full of anxiety and fear and confusion. And to top it all off, Jesus keeps on saying things at dinner that sound very odd, silly, that seems to make no sense to the apostles. And you can see him in, in our reading. Just take a look at verse 28. Jesus, looking at his disciples, his apostles, he says, If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, you know, we read that, perhaps, and it doesn't strike us as all that odd, maybe a little odd, but 
But in context, think about what it meant for the disciples. Because for them, what they're hearing is Jesus saying, you should be happy that I'm going to die and leave you. I mean, that's crazy from their perspective, isn't it? Or verse 30, um, I'll paraphrase, Jesus says, the ruler of this world, the devil is coming, but don't worry, he has no hold on me, he has no claim on me, he has no power over me. But, but the weird thing is that from their perspective, if the camera angle is from the perspective of the disciples, that doesn't make any sense because Jesus is about to die and in their minds, dead messiahs are not messiahs, and therefore it sure looks like the devil must have a claim on him if he is, in fact, about ready to die. Do you see that from their perspective, Jesus seems very odd. His words seem bizarre. They're struggling. And then Jesus says, verse 27, verse 27, right in the middle of all of it, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you, don't let your hearts be troubled, neither allow them to be afraid. In other, again, to our, view, our mind, that might seem like a, a wonderful verse to quote when we're anxious. But for the disciples, what it means is Jesus is saying, yes, I'm about ready to be killed by cosmic evil, but don't let it get you down. I mean, it's bonkers to their perspective. And my point in pointing all this out is that the disciples are hearing Jesus' words, but they are not grasping what they mean. And they're struggling, clearly, in this whole uh, part, part of the gospel. They're struggling with Jesus' words right from the very beginning. If you struggle with Jesus' words, you're in good company. And in fact, it's very common throughout the whole of the Bible for the people of God to struggle with the words of God, with the message of God. If you go back to the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, you look at the people of God called Israel. And all through that story, and we could show you tons of examples, they regularly hear God's word and then completely misunderstand it. They, they hear the teaching from the prophets, they hear the teaching from the priests, and very often they either disregard it because it doesn't make any sense to them and they think other things make more sense, or they just completely don't have a clue what's going on, and it causes all kinds of trouble right the way through the Bible. However, in the Old Testament, eventually we get to a prophet called Isaiah. And in Isaiah... Isaiah makes a wonderful promise that we have to understand in order to understand what Jesus is doing here. In Isaiah, Isaiah promises that one day, God himself will be Israel's teacher. God himself will be Israel's teacher. And Isaiah says that on that day, when, Israel, when God is Israel's teacher, that's when Israel will finally experience, and this is important, peace. Shalom. Now, keep that in mind and look back at verse 25. All this I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will, this is important, teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Now, what he's saying is, Jesus is promising that after he's gone, the Holy Spirit himself will be their teacher. God will be their teacher. And then what's the result? Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. 
Now, here's the point. Isaiah says that when God becomes our teacher, that's when peace happens. Now, we'll talk about peace in just a few minutes, but zero in on, what, on the work of the Holy Spirit there in verses 26. Verse 26. The first thing that Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to do for the apostles is that the Holy Spirit's going to give the apostles miraculous uh, memory. Uh, If you've read through the stories of Jesus, if you've read through the four Gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life, one of the things that's striking is, um, of course, none of this material is written by Jesus himself, and yet it describes Jesus and his life and his words in remarkable detail. And almost anybody that reads it comes up and says, "How how could they possibly, how does that work? How do they remember everything? You ever had that question? Um, Now, we we should keep in mind that for the disciples, Jesus changed their life radically. And and after the disciples met Jesus, there was never a day that they didn't talk about Jesus, that they didn't think about Jesus, that they didn't reminisce on what Jesus had told them and how Jesus had interacted with them while they were with him. However, so it's natural that they would have a pretty good memory about it because it was so important. However, what Jesus is promising is something more. Jesus' promise is that the Holy Spirit will give them a miraculous kind of memory that will allow them to remember in great focus and in great detail what it is that Jesus had taught them. But then there's more, because it's clearly not enough for the disciples just to remember Jesus well, because when the disciples are with Jesus, they don't really understand the meaning of what, they, what he says. They, see, they hear what he says, but not, they don't understand it really. And that's where the second gift is so important. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will be their teacher. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit gives them new doctrine or new information per se. What it means is that the Holy Spirit enabled them to remember Jesus clearly, but then also at the same time, the Holy Spirit allowed them to understand what it meant. The Holy Spirit gave them a kind of infallible clarity about the meaning of what it is that they had seen Jesus do and the meaning of what it is that they had heard Jesus say. Um, The Holy Spirit gave them clarity about the meaning of who Jesus is, what he accomplished upon the cross, and then finally, what it means to follow him. And you can sort of see this playing out even in our text. Let me illustrate. Um, Think about this text. Remember how Jesus told them, uh, if you love me, you'll rejoice that I'm uh, going to die, rise, and ascend to my father. Now, when they first hear that, that is unintelligible to them. What in the world? But do you know what happened? What happened is, just hours later, Jesus died, rose, went to his father, and then the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, and do you know what happened next? They spend the rest of their lives rejoicing that Jesus died and rose and went to his father. Why? Why does it, is it unintelligible beforehand, and then after the fact it becomes their animating joy for the rest of their lives? The reason is this. They realize later, through the Holy Spirit's teaching, that Jesus' death and resurrection and going to the Father purchased their peace. Verse 27, peace. 
What does that have to do with it? Remember Isaiah. Isaiah said that when God teaches Israel, that's when Israel will deeply know peace. And peace in the Bible is never simply uh, a heart without anxiety. It includes that, but it's much deeper. Peace in the Bible means perfect access and relationship with God now, and then that that relationship will increase and intensify in intimacy over the course of eternity. And that explains why Jesus, right after mentioning the work of the Holy Spirit, in verse 27, he says, listen, the world promises peace by a whole bunch of different avenues, but it never delivers. And on the other hand... Jesus says in so many words, my Holy Spirit is going to teach you the meaning of my death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you the meaning of my death and resurrection. And then you'll see that the hostility between you and God through the cross has been reconciled. And in that reconciliation, you can know peace. As the Holy Spirit in the power, or as the apostles in the power of the Holy Spirit thought about Jesus' death and resurrection, they began to see that Jesus had been cut off from God so that they could be brought in. They could see that Jesus was the only true child of God, but that he had been treated as an enemy of God so that they could be adopted into the family of God. All of these things began to make sense through the work of the Holy Spirit. They didn't grasp it in the moment when they first heard it, but they, it became clear through the work of the Spirit as the Spirit reminded them and taught them and they internalized all of that. And therefore what happened is that Jesus' words, which at the beginning had been a confusion and a struggle, through the work of the Spirit became their greatest treasure. Now, what's the result of that? Well, the work of the Holy Spirit in the disciples' lives began a series of chain reaction that led to us receiving the New Testament. It's written, it's a, New Testament's a remarkable thing because it's, in one sense, it's a library. It's 27 different books um, written over the course of at least 60 years written by at least nine authors with a bunch more sources that are all involved, perhaps more authors. And each book in the New Testament uh, includes unique details, a unique perspective describing the beauty of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, while each book of the, uh, the New Testament is unique and shows Jesus from a different angle, all of it together is remarkably unified in one central message. And the central message can be described a lot of ways, but one way is this. The central message is you can rejoice and you can have peace with God because Jesus died and rose and went to the Father and arranged your adoption, so receive it. That's the message you see again and again and again. And each book of the New Testament sort of corroborates that central message from different angles and in different voices. Now, remember the question at the beginning. What is it that comes to your mind when you think about the Bible? Is it your treasure? Is it your struggle? Is it both at the same time? Just consider how it was that it came into being because this is part of God's grace to you. 
What happened is the apostles listened to Jesus in person, and they didn't get it, and they struggled with it. You can identify with them. But then the Spirit over time worked on their hearts and minds, reminded them, and then brought Jesus into greater focus. Who Jesus is, what he accomplished on the cross, what it means to follow him. That came into focus with pristine clarity. And then, in a remarkable series of events, what they saw, they spoke out. And what they spoke out was written down. And in a wonderful grace, we get to see what they saw when we read what it is that was written. And that's why the Bible, that's why we treasure it so much, the Bible is Jesus' plan to bring us into this wonderful succession of seeing who Jesus is. We get access to the same grace that the apostles had as we read the New Testament. And this has been the pattern of Christians from the very, very beginning. Um, the, the, the early Christians, after the apostles, what they did is they listened to the apostles. They, they read the writings of the apostles. They, they copied them down, and then they swapped them with one another. Some churches had only a few of uh, what we would now call the New Testament books. Other churches had other ones, and they ended up uh, swapping between them. And, and every now and then, a book would come up that claimed to be... Uh, by the apostles, but sometimes the message was a little bit different. It didn't have that same central message that was corroborated by all the other ones. And so the churches would get together and they would compare the message of the book that was a little suspect with the book that they had, books that they had high confidence about. And if the message didn't match, they chucked it out. And over time, this wonderful consensus arose. You know, Christians disagree about a lot of things. But there's a remarkable level of consensus about the voice of Jesus through the New Testament. And all through that story, the church was struggling with the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And in the midst of the struggle, as the Spirit worked in our hearts and minds, they found Jesus to be the tr his, their treasure as he presents himself in these books. And again, you can see it all the way through. I, Later on, this is show and tell, you can peruse this book. This is the Apostolic Fathers. Um, this is written by a group of people that weren't the apostles, but many of the people who wrote this book, this collection of books, knew the apostles themselves. And as you read their readings, you see that they're doing the same thing that we do. They're wrestling with the message of the New Testament. They're wrestling, sometimes quoting or alluding to the New Testament. Um, sometimes just simply proclaiming the same message that you see all through the New Testament. And I say that just to say that Christians are all of us in a succession from the apostles wrestling with their teaching as we read it in the scripture. And it's there that Jesus becomes clear. It's there that we behold our God. And this explains why we treasure the Bible. It explains why we read it when we come together. It explains why all of our liturgy are, are basically paraphrases of scripture. We want the scriptures to be in us, not because we want to not because we want to idolize a text, but because we want to see Jesus. So what does all this mean for us? Well, Emmanuel, here's what it means for Christians. It means we should come to the New Testament 
uh, expectant that we will meet Jesus in the scriptures. And don't hear me saying that we won't struggle. We will struggle, actually, because when you really meet Jesus, there's always struggle involved. There were for the first disciples, there will be for us. Um, meeting Jesus is no small thing, and therefore we must not be surprised if there's struggle, if there's parts of the scriptures that, that, that don't resonate with us, and we've got to say, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? What did it mean then? What do I do with it? How do I wrestle through this? Expect that. But as we struggle with the text, expect that the Holy Spirit will be working as well. Now, I should be careful because the promise of Jesus in verse 26 is specific to the apostles. But the rest of the Bible, including our first reading from Ephesians, teaches us that there's a complementary promise to us. That as we read the scriptures, the Spirit will work in us, continually clarifying Jesus, making Jesus vivid, clear, compelling. So what is it that comes to your mind when you think about the Bible? Is it a struggle? That's fine. Engage the struggle. Don't let cynicism take root. Ask all your hardest questions. Bombard Jesus with the struggle. Read it. But as we wrestle with the text and as we wrestle with Jesus in the text, do it in prayer. Ask the Spirit to teach you. Uh, read it humbly, expecting to be corrected and changed. And also, this is very important, read the scripture together. Uh, very often Christians, particularly in this country, we read the Bible alone and that's good. But don't read the Bible only alone. Read the Bible together. The Bible is meant to be heard by the church, by the community, where we can each hear and understand uh, Jesus from a slightly different perspective and then help each other uh, by describing Jesus' beauty to one another. We can help each other see Jesus in ever-increasing detail. We need to read the Bible together. That's why we do it here on Sundays. It's why we read the Bible together in home groups. It's why some of us gather together for morning or evening prayer throughout the week. We want to be saturated in the scriptures together as a community, not just individually. But then, how about uh, those of us here who are not yet Christians? Um, if you're not a Christian, here's what I want to recommend you do. I want you to invite you to read the scriptures for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Don't take our word for it. We might misrepresent Jesus. So go to the original text. Go to the source and as you read, wrestle with Jesus Christ. And I say that because for the last 2,000 years, people from every generation, from different uh, social backgrounds, from wildly different cultures, have all read this text and come to the strange and wonderful experience of having Jesus Christ himself speaking to them through the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of the wrestling, and there will be, they find that Jesus becomes their treasure as he presents himself and makes him clear, himself clear in the word of God. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmanuel Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jim Saladin, the minister here. 
At Emmanuel, we seek to see, describe, and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City and ultimately the world. We rely on the generous giving of people like you. Consider supporting our ministries at www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.